Good morning. Welcome to another edition of I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman, and founder and uh, trainer, coach, consultant, speaker at Mindset Go. Great to be with you here this morning. And uh, got a great topic for you today. We're going to talk about the concept of a partnership, but we're going to frame it in a very different way than you might expect. And uh, there's a couple of things that have got me thinking about this. You know, we're in a year where hopefully many of you are doing a lot of self-reflection about your job, about your relationships, key relationships in your life, about your career path, about your passion, about what's missing in your life. And hopefully there have been a lot of opportunities to self-reflect. And what I'm thinking about is... Uh, how to find that ideal partner. And I have two frames of reference to give you. And first, I want to talk about an interesting concept that many of you are familiar with. I have just recently learned, and it's called pre-Cana. And and I'm Jewish, but this is a Catholic, from my understanding, this is a Catholic uh, tradition where when people are, uh, when a couple is preparing to get married, they attend some marital counseling, which is called this pre-Cana, and they actually kind of go through this process of get to know each other a little bit and get to understand different things about each other. And when I was first told about this from one of my Catholic friends, I thought to myself, that's fabulous. Because when you think of how most relationships materialize, regardless of the type of relationship, but we'll call it, you know, a partner relationship, whether it's male or female or whatever, you know, you, you get to know someone, you build friendship, you build trust, you fall in love, and then all of a sudden you decide to get married, perhaps. And then when you decide to get married, so many things, perhaps not until you actually get married, get introduced into the mix that you really haven't had to think about prior to marriage. And it could be how you're going to raise your children, what kind of parents you're going to be, how you value money and how you spend money and how you save money. It could be uh, different styles of communication and how you apologize and how you uh, fight and how you uh, learn to support one another and, and meet each other's needs and how you each feel heard. I mean, there's a, the list goes on and on. But part of the problem is, is that once you get married, those things start getting explored after you get married in many cases, which is one of the many reasons that lead to such a high divorce rate, right? So this pre-cana to me made a lot of sense because there's some understanding and assessment in a deeper dive into getting to know each other and what could derail the relationship and possibly the marriage and where you're not going to solve everything, you could at least vet out some of the concerns and truly understand if the relationship in marriage is meant to be, and if you are truly the right fit for one another. So I'm thinking about partnerships, right? I'm thinking about the different kinds of partnerships we have in the world. And we certainly have relationship partners, and we have business partners. And I have been in situations throughout my career where I have evaluated going into business with different people. And I actually have a very full, specific due diligence process. And due diligence implies it's very formal and structured. But it actually, so much of my due diligence process is really getting to know the other person and their wants and needs and their goals and their drivers and their passion. 
and really understanding if our personalities, our leadership styles, our communication styles are in sync and if we would actually be good. And so I've done this several times. And even the people who I found that I wouldn't be a great partner with or they wouldn't be a good partner for me, um, we've ended up building a friendship and we have a better understanding of one another. So it's a good process. And we see a lot in business, just like we see a lot in relationships, where business partnerships can fail and fall apart. And sometimes they fall apart because they weren't set up to, for success to begin with. Sometimes they fall apart because circumstances change, people evolve as human beings. That goes for marriage as well, or, or intimate relationships. And then uh, people's wants and needs and desires change. And so relationships sometimes fall apart for those reasons too. So ideal partners, like have you ever taken a step back and thought about it from this mindset, right? If I had a magic wand and I could produce a dream partner for you, a dream business partner or a dream significant other partner, what would that partner look like? How would that partner act? How would that partner think? How would they compliment you? How would they be like you? How would they be different than you? Right? There's lots of questions. On the surface, you might have some snap quick answers that come to mind that are valuable and make sense. But if you were really had the opportunity to describe your ideal relationship partner, business partner, whatever, you'd really have to give it some thought. So, what was really interesting about this concept of partners is a conversation I had with my youngest son, Cole, the other day. He's 14 years old. And he and my oldest son, Marcus, have decided to enter into a fantasy football partnership. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with fantasy football, I want to make two points before you stop listening to the show and thinking, I don't like fantasy football, I don't do fantasy football, I don't need to listen to this. So first of all, I want to just give a quick 20, 30 second explanation of what fantasy football is, if you're unaware. Fantasy football is a game that you get to pretend you are the general manager of a mythical football team. And as general manager, you are given a amount of money to pick certain players under a salary restriction where you get to bid on certain players. Or there's some versions of fantasy football where you draft certain players and you take turns picking. But the bottom line is you get to pick your own team. And then your success in picking that team is dependent on the success of the players you pick. And you compete with different people each week and you go head to head. Ultimately, there's a playoffs and there's a championship. And in some cases, you can win money. In some cases, there's no money. But the bottom line is fantasy football is a game where you compete with somebody else. Now, so my two sons, um, who are 11 years apart in age, 25 and 14, have ventured into a partnership together. And the partnership is not going well at all. And so I've heard from both of them on what the problem is with the partnership. And it occurred to me, as I asked my 14-year-old, I said, well, let's take a step backwards for a minute. If you are picking a partner for anything, whether it be fantasy football, let's say you're entrepreneurial and you want to start a business, a project in school, I mean, how often do we see in high school and college teachers and professors pair people together to work in teams and partners and so on and so forth? 
So I said, Cole, so what would be some characteristics of a dream partner for anything? And this is what he said, and I'm going to read you the answer, and this is going to be the foundation for the rest of the show. Because remember, this is coming from a 14-year-old, has very little to do with fantasy football specifically yet. But I just want you to think of the things that he rattled off of his ideal partner. So this is what he said. Number one, they respect my opinion and actually take the time to listen and understand it. Number two, defer recognition. Now, he did not use the word defer. I replaced what he said. But he said, actually, doesn't always take credit. Defers recognizing their own achievement, and they would recognize my achievements. Three, he says, we have clear expectations in jobs about who is doing what in the partnership. Four, they calmly share their feelings in moments of disagreement. Five, when we have discussions and meetings, both people come prepared. Six, neither side places blame on the other and works to a, conclu- and works to a, a problem-solving conclusion. Seven, what are different strategies and approaches that each of us use to solve problems so we're not using the same resources? Okay? Eight, they ask me to do things and don't tell me to do things. And nine, I am acknowledged when I do things well. Now, I want you to think about, that's a lot of things to remember, but those nine things, right? You could apply that to marriage. You could apply that to a business partner. You could apply that to fantasy football. But they make so much sense. And what's interesting about fantasy football is that I think in some ways fantasy football is a microcosm for partnerships in life and how you conduct those partnerships. So when I come back from the first break, we will expand on the topic of how fantasy football is a microcosm of life and how you can create these opportunities and create a culture for an ideal partnership, regardless of your age. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman. We're talking about ideal partners, and we're talking about how to assess whether someone would be a good partner for you, how to evaluate if your current partner, I know that could be dangerous, but how to evaluate if your current partner is the right partner, and really building on the self-reflection that a lot of people should be doing in a lot of areas in their life, ideally in 2020. So let's take a step back. I'm going to use a very specific example. And I'm a huge sports fan, as all of you know. And I recently started another podcast called The Right Call that you can find on YouTube. But, you know, to me, one of the aspects kids and adults, for that matter, can learn from fantasy football is negotiation. Now, there's two aspects of negotiation that kids can learn from fantasy football. One is making trades, because there's an aspect of fantasy football where you can trade players. But the other aspect is negotiating choices and decisions with your partner. Now, let's take a step back. Uh, When I look at the curriculum of public and private schools, and I've said this many times in the past, and I'm not going to rail on this because I don't want to digress from the main topic, but think of how important is negotiation is in life. 
And one of the aspects of negotiation that's interesting to me is when people think of negotiation, they almost immediately defer to money, right? So when we're talking about negotiation, it's negotiating money. It's a price. It's a purchase. We're negotiating. And you're not taught negotiation typically in high school. Um, you can be taught negotiation in, in college and in certain colleges, depending on the course load you take. But negotiation is much broader than financial purchases. Negotiation can be used as early as three and four and five years old when you're trying to create compromises. You know, when your young child comes up to you and tries to negotiate a compromise, we, we often refer to that as kind of cute or precocious or whatever, but that's kind of neat that they already have the instinct to think of a way, whether they're negotiating a bedtime, whether negotiating, um, you know, buying ice cream or candy, but whatever, there's a negotiation and a compromise element involved. Now, I ask you, for those of you listening to the show who have kids out there, if I told you I was going to conduct a two-hour workshop on negotiation for your kids that range anywhere between eight and nine years old and we'll say 17 and 18 years old, and you said to them, and this is how you framed it, hey, I got this guy, Mark Altman, I know he's, he's a really good trainer and speaker and he specializes in communication and I thought it would be good for you to attend this two-hour negotiation. You know what that's going to be like. You know the majority of your kids are going to look at you and roll your eyes and go, what? I'm going to go to a workshop on negotiation? Most of them probably wouldn't be all that interested and wouldn't understand why they even need to go. But now, if you ask them, well, wait a minute, before you decide whether you want to go, do you use negotiation at any point in your life? And then they started to recognize and understand that they use it when they're trying to decide where their friends are going to go for the weekend, what activities they're going to play in the backyard, what PlayStation games they're going to choose, what fantasy football trades they're going to make. They use it all the time. Right? So... This is what I mean about fantasy football. You're learning something experientially without even realizing you're learning it, and you're actually practicing traits in a fun way that you would use. So, to me, when you're trying to build an ideal relationship at any age level for any purpose, you've got to know how to negotiate not only purchases and money, but negotiate compromises. You've got to negotiate feelings. You've got to negotiate, you know, how time is going to be spent. And it just applies everywhere. And I think what we see in the workplace a lot when it comes to leadership and negotiation is it's so hard for people to speak up for what they want and need. But very often people look at things in a very black and white way where it's either one way or it's the other way. And there's a lack of critical thinking often involved to look at not only a compromise, but look at a way where every where both sides can feel heard, both sides can feel like they've been understood, and a negotiation doesn't have to equal an outcome of both sides. It can often mean that each side just has a better understanding of the other, but ultimately someone has to have their side be the chosen decision. But see, this is one of the things about negotiation. 
that I think is critical, and that's the win-loss aspect of negotiation. So a lot of times, not only do people refer to negotiation as a purchase or something revolving money, it's like one side has to win and one side has to lose. Now, I'm a huge fantasy football guy myself. I do multiple leagues. It's my outlet to have fun with people in my life and friends and colleagues and so on and so forth. And when I make a trade with someone, I've said this repeatedly, I'm not rooting for the other person in the trade to lose out. I want to be successful. And frankly, I hope it works out for them also. Because frankly, if it doesn't, there's a good chance they may not trade with me again. So see, there's an aspect of negotiation where you may have negotiated what you perceive as a victory for yourself but if, it's a detriment, if it works out in a detrimental or negative way to the other person, then your short-term victory in the negotiation may be a long-term failure because the other person actually lost. And I look at a great example in sports where upwards of about eight or nine years ago when Danny Ainge traded Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce to the Brooklyn Nets in what amounted to be an extremely lopsided trade... Um, A lot of people around the league, media and executives alike, have speculated that no one wants to trade with Danny anymore because he's greedy and he's not easy to trade with and he's going to have to have a clear victory in the trade to make a trade. Now, whether that's true or false, it illustrates my point. And so when you're in a leadership position, okay, and I'm going to give you two examples. When you're in a leadership position and you're negotiating something with a team member, with A C-suite executive, when you're managing up, it could be managing up, it could be managing sideways with a peer, it could be managing with someone on your team. What's the outcome you're expecting? And very often, especially when it comes to performance improvement, behavior change, habit replacement, concepts like that, they, they deem the discussion successful if after the initial discussion, there's an achieved outcome of an aligned and agreed-upon behavior change or performance improvement. And it just doesn't work that simply. You know, when it comes to habit change, if you're asking someone to do something different than they've done it before, if your expectation is that this is something they have never done at all, or they've never done it successfully, or they've never done it consistently, and then after your magical conversation on a dime, they're going to be able to go back to their desk or go back to their office and go, oh, now I know what I need to do differently. I'm just going to shake my magic wand and instantaneously do it. It doesn't happen that way. And that's why so many repeat conversations take place. And that's why there's inherent disappointment in these conversations. And so one of the pieces of advice I give to leaders when I'm working them with them in training or as a coach or as a consultant is the negotiation to me in that first conversation should often be for them to recognize and be aligned that the problem actually exists and get confirmation that they don't actually know the best way to solve it. To me, that would be a big outcome in a conversation. And so negotiating a result is one thing. But understanding what is a reasonable outcome, understanding what is a fair outcome, is something different. And that's why I said, you've got a 6th or 7th or 8th grader 
doing fantasy football and you think they're spending too much time in doing fantasy football, shift it the other way. Look at all the different lessons you can extract, they can extract from fantasy football, and it's multiple talking points and conversations in a way they already see the applicability of it, and they're already experiencing it. So when I come back for our next segment, uh, we'll continue to talk about the values of ideal partnerships and some other key steps for Mark Altman. This is I Communicate. We'll be right back. We'll be- okay, welcome back to I Communicate for our third segment. So we're talking about ideal partnerships and we're talking about things like pre-cana that Catholics use in marriage. We're talking about fantasy football being a template in a microcosm of life when it comes to building successful partnerships. And look, Let me preface, this is not uh, a promotion or an advertisement for fantasy football. This is me bringing up a topic that you can look at in life that looks very one-dimensional, like this is a fun outlet, this is sports, this is I get to be a general manager, as opposed to, wait a minute, um, my, my son or daughter, or me as an adult, I'm really actually practicing and using real life skills here, right? Now, I want to talk about this expression that we've even joke we've either jokingly stated at one point or another in our life or we know our kids struggle with it and that's can't we all just get along? Can't we all just get along? So what does that actually mean? What does to get along mean? Well, see to me, at an adult level, get along means become aligned on viewpoints perspectives, opinions, right? That's what get along means. It means we may not agree with everything, but we found a way to understand each other. That's what get along means. I mean, when you talk about can't we all just get along, it's, it's such a throwaway, simple request. But getting along with people is so hard because getting along with people who have similar core values, philosophies, religious perspectives, political stances. Well, that's easy. It's easy to get along with people who are like you, theoretically, because sometimes when you're too much alike, it's not so easy. But on on the surface, it seems easy. But what about the people who are not like you? What about the people who don't have your core values and opinions? You know, I'm working with a leader, and one of the things she told me the other day is, she said, it's very hard for me to be patient and understand people who don't have the similar core value of learning and don't take the initiative and who aren't driven to be a better person. That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I struggle sometimes with that as well. The point I'm trying to make is, How do you accept those people? How do you meet those people in a space that they're comfortable with where you can still, and here's the two big words, I'm going to convert get along and agree with to motivate and influence. Because that's what we're really talking about, the ability to motivate and influence. By the way, influence is not a bad word. Influence is a bad word If you use it irresponsibly, influence is a bad word if you have malicious intent when you use it. But if your intentions 
are honorable, then influence is actually a really good word. And so is motivate. And I think about this concept of getting alignment. How does everybody get on the same page? How do you, as a leader, whether it's people above you, people at your peer level, the team that reports to you, how do you help everybody get along? What does it take? And by the way, in fantasy football, you know, I have a partner. He happens to be a dear friend of mine. I have a partner. And we have a great partnership because we have, and we didn't even have a discussion, even though I'm advocating for this discussion of how to vet out your ideal partner, we have an understanding of the way they do, we do things that are very complementary and supportive of each other. And, you know, this one rule that we have that works so well for us is if there's ever an, a decision that needs to be made where one of us feels super strongly, even if we disagree, we just defer to the other. So if one of us says, well, I really, really think we should do this, then the other one says, okay, and we're done. Seems like a simple rule. Someone feels really strongly, the other person defers. But in business and in leadership, it's not that simple. There's a lot more at stake, seemingly, right? So when you're talking about getting alignment in influencing and motivating people, there's an understanding you need to have to be able to do that. And when you talk about the concept of listening, this is how it plays out. When you listen to reply or listen with an agenda, you're missing the opportunity to collect data and collect information and collect facts. Because one of the things I find myself teaching to people very often is when they're trying to get alignment, when they're trying to convince people, when they're trying to motivate and influence, they're leading with their own opinions. They're leading with their own data and facts but they haven't actually taken the time to understood to understand the obstacles that are in the way of influencing and motivating the very people they need to get alignment with. So, for, for you sports fans out there, if I call up and I suggest a trade to you, and I'll use some, some big-name players for even the casual football fans, if I offer you know, Tom Brady for Cam Newton, or if I offer Cam Newton for Tom Brady, well, t- Tom Newton's a better fantasy football quarterback. So if I initiate the conversation with Cam Newton for Tom Brady and the person's like, well, I wouldn't do that, my response is, okay, no problem. So how far off are we? What do you think the difference is? So I go into curiosity mode. I ask questions. I want to know what I'm up against. I want to know if we actually can reach alignment on this. I want to know the other person's perspectives. So why, when we're attempting to get buy-in, to influence and motivate, why do we lead with our own stuff before we've captured from the audience we're presenting to or talking with what their fears are? what the obstacles they see are, what the concerns they see are, why they don't see this as a priority, why they don't see this as an urgent matter. 
You know, communication in some ways is unbelievably complex, but sometimes it actually has very simple steps to it that we either ignore or don't follow. I teach kids, listen, God's honest truth, I teach kids. When I do workshops with high school and high school and college kids or even middle school kids, I teach kids how to negotiate with their parents. This is what I tell them. Let's say your kid was trying to negotiate a later curfew or bedtime. This is what I teach them to do. I say, this is what I want you to do. When you go to talk to your parents, before you have that conversation, I want you to think about what your parents are going to say and why they're not in favor of your request. What kind of resistance can you expect? So I ask them to anticipate what resistance they expect. I ask them to anticipate why those resistance uh, criteria exist. And then I say, what are they? Why do you think they feel that way? And how are you going to respond to them? That's how I teach kids to go talk to their parents and influence their parents. Right? And then I ask them to start the conversation by saying, listen, I really would like you to consider extending my curfew um, from 10 to 11 or from 11 to 12. But before I give you my reasons, would you be willing to share why you wouldn't be willing to do that? Right? So, like, look, folks, this isn't brain surgery, but there's some finesse here. And so every time I teach kids how to approach their parents and convince their parents to get alignment and influence and motivate them, They love it. They think I'm the greatest teacher in the world. But see, the thing I figured out about human beings is that how you frame learning, how you frame experiential learning, how you make it applicable for how you can use it in their life, that's what it's all about. Right? And so think of what I just described. Step one is what are the obstacles? Why do they exist? And how will you respond to them? Step two is ask the person to confirm what you think to be true. This is not a kid-parent thing. This is a sales thing. This is a leadership thing. This is a team-building thing. This is a conflict resolution thing. I mean, for God's sakes, it's all of those. Simple concepts that kids practice every day, that adults use, and can learn, period. Okay, we'll be back for our final segment. I'm Mark Altman for I Communicate. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to our final segment of I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman, and um, just a couple of uh, housekeeping notes to get out of the way. People ask me often what Mindset Go does, and we help people become more confident and effective communicators. My running joke is that when learning and development people or C-suite executives or HR departments are sitting around their office. They're not sitting there going, you know, we need, we need more confident and effective communicators. So they might recognize that some people need help with communication skills, but framing it as confident and effective communicators can be a bit nebulous at times. So ideally, we're really helping people in three areas, emotional intelligence, um, conversational intelligence, which is how to have meaningful conversations when it comes to preparing for the conversation, executing for the conversation, and the debrief and follow-up to the conversations. And then generational intelligence, which is, 
you know, uh, communicating, adapting your communication style to the five generations inside and outside the workplace with all the relationships in your life. So look, if you're having a problem at your company, whether it's leadership, sales, team building, culture, conflict resolution, change management, you name it, I could almost guarantee you it stems from a communication problem. And that's where I come in. So anyway, a little bit about what I do. But back to our topic around ideal partners. So look, in the very beginning of the show today, I gave you the list. The problem with the list is I bet when you heard that list, you probably said, yeah, that makes sense. You know, I understand. But the question is, how do you actually confirm and verify that people know how to do this? Now, certainly in the case of a marriage or a significant other, you've ideally in many of these areas spent time understanding people's weaknesses. So for instance, you look at respects and listens to opinions. Well, if you've spent a significant amount of time with someone, I would imagine you have a pretty good understanding of how good they are in respecting and listening to other people's opinions, right? And so that one's an easy one. But some of the stuff isn't as obvious. And, you know, when you're talking about um, a new relationship, right, of is this a person an ideal business partner? Is this person, if I'm a college or high school student, is this person a good project partner? If it's fantasy football, is this person a good fantasy football partner? Well, you often have to make those decisions without a lot of precedent, without a lot of pattern. And so then the question is, how do you really test this out? Now, I'm going to talk about preparation. And I'm going to talk about things like understanding problem-solving methods, understanding expectations, understanding roles and responsibilities. Now, you can have a simple conversation, right? And you can agree on all these things. But what it ultimately comes down to is, Prior to the partnership, you can agree on how things are going to be done. But then what happens once the partnership's in full force and then there's an agreement? And you said, well, I thought you were going to be the one to figure out who, what players we should pick up every week. And you say, well, I did. I made a couple of suggestions. And the other person says, well, I thought you were going to put more time into it than that. Well, there you go, right out of the bat. So when you define roles, responsibilities, and expectations, it goes much deeper than that. That's why expectations is so polarizing that my rules of expectations are expectations are only okay if they're articulated clearly and agreed upon. But the problem is to really get clear expectations, you have to go a little bit deeper than surface level or else in many cases you're going to be set up for disappointment. If I tell you my expectation is to develop your your team as a leader, and you're like, okay, well, that was my expectation too. But we know damn well that I have very specific ideas and approaches and strategies I want you to implement when you develop your team as a leader. So then when certain people don't develop in the way you and I both had intended, then comes, well, what happened? And now I start articulating specific expectations about how you were going to do it that I didn't bother to share with you initially, and then hence the communication breakdown. So 
setting expectations, a lot of you out there are like, oh, no, I do a good job setting expectations. I think if you ask the people that report to me that I do a very good job setting expectations, well, the question I would ask you is, okay, I'll take your word for it, but if you do a good job setting expectations, I would imagine you're not having to have a lot of repeat conversations with me with, with people about tasks or projects or performance issues or policies or procedures or habits or things like that. Because if you were doing a job, good job setting very, very clear expectations, the need for repeated conversations wouldn't be there. So it's a very broad word and so much communication breakdown happens because of unclear expectations. Now look, One of the things I want you to take away from the show today is I want you to evaluate certain things that you do or that your children do that are discussion worthy that you can figure out a way to apply and tie in to make it interesting for them. So think of certain things you do at work. Think of if they do similar things. I mean, look at Fortnite for God's sakes. I used to talk to my youngest son all the time about there's some things in Fortnite that are valuable to learn about how to work with other team members and things like that. Kids are doing things every day that align with things that you do every day that would open up great points of discussion on how they would handle certain situations, what choices they make, why they approach things the way they did if they've already happened. And you can find some bonding on things you never thought would be bond that you could bond over. And look, how many times have I heard a parent say to me over the course of my career, you know, I don't love all of my kids' friends, or there's a certain kid my, uh, my daughter hangs out with that I don't like. Well, you know what? Most parents will tell their kids, you know, I don't like Billy, or I don't like Mary. But instead of saying what you don't like and being a, giving them parent speak, Why don't you ask them about their friend selection process in the first place? Why don't you ask them why they actually like that friend? What they get from that friend? What's reciprocal in that relationship? And you don't have to use big words like that. That's not my point. But it's an opportunity to really understand how your kids make decisions and why your kids make decisions. And as I've said so many times, there is so much symmetry between parenting and leadership. And so when you talk about ideal partnerships, whether it is a significant other, whether it is a business partner, whether it is a peer or someone you work with that you're trying to influence and motivate and align, or whether it is as simple as competing in fantasy football, look for the opportunities to grow and understand and how you can tie those things and what lessons you can learn from those things and how you can apply them to other aspects of your life. And the last thing I want to leave everybody with today is recognition and acknowledgement. I mean, for God's sakes, start recognizing and acknowledging anybody and everybody. From the cashier in the supermarket who smiles and pretends to be nice to you, to a senior citizen that you pass in 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 an aisle who you want to cheer up their day, you know, to someone that works for you, to a son, to a daughter, to a sister, to a brother, to a husband, to a wife, to a boss, to an employee, anybody. There is just not enough recognition and acknowledgement going around. Extend compliments every opportunity you get. It's very, very motivational.
as opposed to saying nothing at all or being demotivational. So that's going to do it for this edition of I Communicate. Thank you again for tuning in. Ted, thank you for the great job you do as the producer. I'm Mark Altman. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.